0: From Toronto, Canada, The Conspiracy Show with Richard Seren, And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler, hang your cloak on a peg, grab a stool, and come gather round the fire. There are stories to be told, and you are among friends. Carlos Cagina is the technical producer, and Ryan White is the live stream producer, and we are streaming live... On my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Strange Planet. Tonight, and for the full two hours, we're going to be discussing something, well, truly evil. And it exists in our society. It goes on right under our very noses, something that has been ignored for too long and cannot be tolerated in a civilized society human trafficking. Human trafficking is a modern form of slavery. It's an extreme form of labor exploitation where women, men, and children are recruited or obtained and then forced to labor against their will through force, fraud, and coercion. Trafficking victims are often lured by false promises of decent jobs and better lives. The inequalities women face in status and opportunity worldwide make women particularly vulnerable to trafficking. And while some trafficking victims are forced to work in the sex trade, many others are forced to perform other types of labor, such as domestic servitude, factory work, or agricultural work. Trafficking victims commonly experience physical and psychological abuse, including beatings, sexual abuse, food and sleep deprivation, threats to themselves and their family members, and isolation from the outside world. And in case you're wondering, the International Labor Organization estimates that at least 12.3 million people are victims of forced labor at any given time, 2.4 million of whom toil in forced labor as a result of trafficking. The U.S. Department of State estimates that 14,500 to 17,500 people are trafficked into the United States each year. However, these numbers don't include the many individuals trafficked within U.S. borders. Shea Invidiata is an award-winning human rights activist, philanthropist, entrepreneur, speaker and wellness advocate. As a sales representative and director of operations of the Invidiata team, Shea has helped to develop the Invidiata brand into some of the most elite luxury markets and continues to grow the company with her father. Strongly believing in justice and giving back, Shea founded the not-for-profit organization Free Them, one of the nation's leading voices in the anti-human trafficking movement. She's known for her unwavering determination, leadership, and courageous spirit, She never hesitates to hold powerful people's feet to the regulatory fire, especially if it means protecting and improving the lives of others. Shea Invidiata, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. Is there anything before we get rolling here and and sort of dive deep into this topic, anything that you'd like to add to my introduction in terms of human trafficking, just to sort of help set the table so people understand the scope and magnitude of this problem?
1: Sure. I always like explaining it more from a macro level and bringing it into a micro level. And when you look at globally today, there's over 40 million people that are in global slavery. And if you don't have $40 million sitting in your bank account, that number for so many of us is hard to contextualize what that actually means. And the current population of Canada, just to put it into perspective, is about 37 million people. And take the state of California, for instance, you know, over 30 million people. And imagine for a moment that California is in some form of slavery, every single person. And 80% are women and children. And in Canada, the two most prevalent forms of human trafficking are forced labor and sexual exploitation. And, you know, you mentioned some other forms of human trafficking, and, of course, that exists, but those are two most prevalent forms. Most people think that this is an issue that happens outside of our borders, or that they, you know, quote-unquote, must have been brought in from places like Southeast Asia, Eastern Europe across the continent of Africa. And although that does happen in our country, over 87% of victims that are rescued in Canada are Canadian. And so this is a problem that we have right here at home. Globally, it's a $150 billion industry. And again, that number is very hard to contextualize. But today, this illegal enterprise that we're going to be diving in and talking about is greater than the profits of Apple, Microsoft and Amazon combined. And so you're talking about an illegal industry that has huge power, has huge force, and in my opinion it's it is the greatest evil that exists on our planet today. There's many other stats that I could probably give, but I'll I'll share them probably throughout our conversation, but I think for people, you know, it helps to really understand the the scale of what is happening in our world. And like you mentioned that so many people don't realize that it's actually happening and it's happening right here at
0: home. The numbers are absolutely staggering. I think it ranks third after the illicit drug trade and uh, the illegal arms trade, if I'm not mistaken. Is that accurate?
1: It is. It's the fastest growing crime on our planet today. And um, as you mentioned It is the largest illegal enterprise next to arms and drugs. And it's the fastest growing because people who are involved in illegal trade have realized that it's actually more lucrative to be able to sell a body than it is arms and drugs. It's also a lot easier. It's harder to hide drugs. It's harder to hide arms when they're illegal than it is a human being. As long as you can control that human and control their body, body language, you control what they say, what they don't say, you know, arguably a human is, is a lot easier to quote unquote, make invisible. And the body can be reused over and over and over again. And the average time a body gets rented out is about 15 to 20 times a day. And so If I'm trafficking drugs or I'm trafficking arms and I want to sell you narcotics, you will have to come back to me every single time you want more of that product. And I'm going to have to produce more of that product in order to fill the demand. Whereas the body, you can just keep renting it out and getting more use out of it. And so... In Canada, for example, one one girl can make a trafficker about two hundred and fifty to three hundred thousand dollars a year, and so it's highly highly lucrative and you start doing the math times ten girls you know times twenty girls, you're in a very very cash lucrative illegal
0: industry Shay, help me understand how it happens. I don't know if there's a typical sort of scenario, but how does, let's say a young girl, how does she fall victim? What happens to her? Walk me through that. Well,
1: there, I mean, there's many different scenarios that that can take place. A very common situation can be, um, you know, there's different, there's different profiles, if you will, of victims. And the first thing to just kind of lay the foundation, I always say to people, That wherever you have poverty and vulnerability, you're susceptible to human trafficking. You're susceptible to become a victim. And so anytime you look at a situation, and you mentioned North Bay, where there could be poverty, you're talking about small town, and vulnerability could be many things. Could be lack of education, could be lack of food, could be lack of shelter could be broken family, could be abuse in the family, anything that's going to contribute to a vulnerability. And when you're coming from even maybe a, a better home, those can be insecurities of a girl, a, of a young girl. So it doesn't actually necessarily need to be a vulnerability in terms of going hungry. And so a place like North Bay, you're lured oftentimes with a boy who or a young man who's going to be between the ages, usually between 18 to 22. And the important thing for people to know as well is that the average age of entry into forced prostitution in Canada and the United States is 13 years old. And so that means that there are too many and so many that are the ages 9, 10, 11, 12, in order to get that number to be as low as it is, to keep that average down to 13. And so, going back again to your scenario in North Bay, girl could be 12 years old, 13 years old, 14, 15, and is going to be approached by a male that's between the ages of 18 to even into their 30s. Oftentimes, comes on as a boyfriend figure, and we call it the wooing factor, and that's where the girl is groomed and. Sometimes there's an offer for a job in in the city to make money and that, you know, this person will take care of them and provide transportation and make sure they're looked after. And we see this in places like North Bay, up in even the reserves, Um, you know, in Canada, the Aboriginal Indigenous communities are some of the most affected by human trafficking. And so there's oftentimes this promise that, You know, you can make money in in the city and there's job opportunities and come with me and I'll I'll give you a job. I'll give you work. And that work is not necessarily realized what it's going to be or how bad it will be and fully what they're going to need to be doing. The other is the boyfriend approaching them. And when you meet somebody and you go on maybe like, you know, call it a first date or you're getting to know them, what do you do? You ask them, you know, where are they from? You know, do you have siblings? What do you like to do? You know, what school do you go to? And freely, most of us give up that information. So the beginning of that relationship is not under duress. There is no fear. And at the same time that that male is telling this female how beautiful is she is, how special she is, pours on all of the attention, makes her feel so special, feeling loved, really. Taking her for coffees, buying her clothing, and at some point that male who this girl believes is her boyfriend is going to ask her to do the unthinkable. And will usually put on some form of guilt that he's just spent all of this money on her and this is what she needs to do for him to help him out, to make some money. It won't last long. It might just be one time or that she needs to pay him back for everything that he's spent on her. And that switch will get turned and this quote-unquote loving boyfriend figure that this victim believes is her boyfriend is going to form into her pimp going to form into her trafficker, and you know, as I mentioned in the beginning, that grooming process that luring and, and coerce process you're offering up information, and so you know one of the biggest questions that we always get asked is you know well why doesn't a girl just leave? you know why doesn't she just walk away, and they get them into such vulnerable positions where they have so much information on these girls and sometimes there's families that are being threatened that if you don't do this then we know where your brother lives we know where your younger sister lives we're going to tell your parents and they've filmed them in very compromising embarrassing either positions or just with groups and they threaten them with exposing them for what they're doing and so there's a lot of fear that Is used to control these girls. You know, and later on, oftentimes, very harsh drugs and alcohol is also introduced as a dependency to have to stay with these traffickers, and they form these drug addictions as well.
0: Shay Invidiata is the founder of the not for profit organization Free Them, and the website is freethem.ca. When these children are taken, are they not reported as missing, assuming that they have? have parents? Yes, some of them are.
1: Some of them are not. And again, it's complicated because there are, believe it or not, there are many girls, too many girls that are still living at home and are being pimped out at the same time. So a girl can be being exploited and trafficked and still coming home to the place that she calls home to put a roof over her head. She might have parents in the house. And you could have parents that are working, you know, three jobs to make ends meet. You could have parents that really don't pay any attention. If you come from a bad family, there could be addiction in the home as well. And they're not paying attention to really their children at all. You could have two parents that are just full-time, corporate, super, super busy, and not realizing that their child is being exploited. So... There are many of those types of scenarios the others absolutely there are children when they go missing they are reported in Canada there's over fifty thousand children that go missing every single year in the United States that number is eight hundred thousand and I am one hundred percent convinced that if they have not found the body that that child is alive and is being exploited across the country. I'm very convinced of that I've been doing this work now for over 17 years and it's just it's crazy when you start connecting certain dots and what we see so absolutely yes some of them do get reported but there are too many that don't get reported as well.
0: I have read foster children can Mm -hmm. often be at extreme risk. Why foster children?
1: Well again you know there's a vulnerability there. They're already lacking in so many ways, right? Imagine being a foster child for whatever reason, either your parents have died, there's sexual abuse, there's abuse in general in the home, you've been removed from the place that was supposed to give you safe refuge. And so already, if you're in the system, you have a predisposition that you are vulnerable and those vulnerabilities traffickers will prey upon. There are many children in the foster care system that foster care... I refuse to call them parents because that's not what they are to these, to some of these children that actually pimp out the foster care children. Uh, there is a big issue with that in the United States, and the systems need to be doing better of vetting who they are placing these children in short-term and sometimes longer-term foster care. Um, we have about
0: two minutes to the break, uh, Shay, but let me ask you this, and if need be, we'll pick up on it after the break, great. and that is, is the recruiting, is the pimping going on in our schools?
1: Oh, 100%. Human trafficking is happening in in all kinds of schools. You know, I speak to all different demographics. Um, spoken, The youngest kids I've ever spoken to are grade fives, all the way up to university students. And Every single time, with the exceptions of the grade fives, I apologize. With the exceptions of the grade fives that I've spoken to, but junior high, 7, 8, you know, I've spoken to every grade in high school. Every time I teach on human trafficking and what it is, I have at least one student come up to me afterwards to say, I didn't know what that was called, but this is happening to a friend of mine right now. And... I've spoken at Christian schools. I've spoken at all-boys schools, at all-boys, you know, um, you know, more affluent schools. I've spoken at all different different type of communities, and human trafficking doesn't know any boundaries. You we'll pick up
0: to- on that when we come back. We'll take a quick time sure. out. Shea Invidiata from Free Them, the website freethem.ca. More on human trafficking. Stay with us. Take a look around. What do you really
1: see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy
0: Show with Richard Sarrett. Shea Invidiata stays with us from Free Them, the website freethem.ca. We're talking about human trafficking, a modern form of slavery that's happening right under our noses. In fact, although this may be very, very hard to believe, to wrap our heads around, it's happening in our schools So you said that you have talked to middle school children and they know of someone you've been told that has been coerced into prostitution. How does this happen in the schools? Are there fellow students that are pimping? Are there teachers? God forfend. Are there support staff who is responsible for coercing these children?
1: You know, it oftentimes will happen um, again Your average male that's going to be preying upon these victims is between 18 to in their 30s. So when you look at the high school demographic or junior highs, oftentimes the male that is luring the girls or coercing is coming from outside of those school systems. What is common within the school is having a girlfriend who convinces a girl to say, hey, I have a job opportunity. Got some way that you could make some money if you're interested, and that's become a more common tactic that's happened that we see more and more. And it's not that the girl um, is is per se a pimp like uh, like what we would call like a madam like a, which is a female pimp um, herself. Oftentimes, it is. That girl is already being exploited herself and part of her, um, job that she's being forced to do is to recruit, um, and bring other girls. And in that sense of the word recruit, you know, you, you, um you know, chose to use a better choice of words. In this scenario, she is being forced to actually bring in other girls, um, to her pimp, to her trafficker. And oftentimes the, the trade-off for the girl is that she won't be abused as much. Um, if she can, again, pay off her own debt, if she can replace, um, you know, if somebody else to be coming in. And so you will see that very commonly the girl will recruit within the school. And, um, and so that's more common happening in the school. Otherwise, when it's the male, that is approaching that female again, mainly from a boyfriend figure, is um, outside of that, of that high school, uh, given the ages, um, oftentimes, between, you know, 18 to the 30 kind of range.
0: And I, I can only imagine uh, that since the advent of the Internet that this has only exacerbated this problem. How much of the recruiting is now done online?
1: Uh, you know it, it the uh, the explosion i would say you know of the internet um has been twofold we have seen obviously a huge growth um yet at the same time too being that it's online uh law enforcement over the years has gotten a lot better on how to track down and actually be able to do thing operations and rescue these girls because it's online. Um, And a lot of the engagements start online. And so you will have COVID operations that take place. Um, You know, when you go to certain websites like backpage.com, Craigslist, you will see many of these girls um, that are, they're really sites that solicit for sex. Um, You know, and I, prefer to call it what it is so it's you know these men predominantly that are paying to rape or paying to molest uh these children the minors um in covid we've seen an increase uh big time due to you know people being at home online um you know the the porn hub at the beginning of covid had offered their members Um, free for 30 days. Um, And Pornhub is one of the biggest facilitators um, of online um, exploitation. So, you know, during this time of COVID specifically, there's been, um, there has been an increase online, um, but also in desperation as well, where so many people are, you know, worried about how they're going to provide food on the table. And um, for many children, as we know, going to school was their place of of safety, uh, was their place of refuge because the home was not safe. And so when you have now more agitated um, parents with their kids in the home, if they're already abusing them, stressing out about also finances and food, the child becomes, um, an easy way for them to be able to make money by exploiting them. So we've seen all kinds of, um, stuff taking place over this time, you know, girls that can't pay their rent and their landlords are saying, well, if you sleep with me and you have sex with me, then you can stay in your place. Otherwise, if not, then you need to leave. Um, you know, all kinds of Exploitation that is that is taking place right now.
0: You mentioned Backpage, and mm-hmm. uh, I mean that is that is a more uh, sophisticated, organized type of organization, and it's it's gone. But I'm sure uh, you know the uh, the CEO and others were uh, pled guilty to uh, online sex trafficking. But I'm sure when Backpage went down, a uh, hundred more. Came up in its in its place. Um, I guess what's troubling to me is so. For example, in the United States, human trafficking wasn't even illegal since uh, b- before two, the year two thousand. Uh, how is that possible? How how could we not have had laws in place prior to two thousand that would make this illegal? And and what is the situation in Canada? When did it when did it go on the books? Human trafficking.
1: So it, it, that's it's a tricky question for me to answer because obviously we've had laws for a long time that says that slavery um, is illegal. And the difference here is that we've introduced a new word calling it human trafficking. And because of that, new legislation... Um, and how we and, and looking at the situa- situation, how we've defined this exploitation now needs a new legislative structure. Um, and so, for the longest time, um, you know, we have. It really, really wasn't until about 2010 in Canada specifically that we really started to introduce at a federal level, um, legislation that would not only prosecute traffickers, but would actually start to, um, strengthen our laws on this, on this issue of human trafficking. Um, That was
0: the national action plan.
1: Yeah. That, Uh, that also came after the fact, um, you know, we, the first bill that was introduced was, um, bill 268, which was, Um, a mandatory minimum sentence for traffickers caught trafficking minors. And Freedom, we were a stakeholder to that bill. And at the time, that was um, former MP Joy Smith, um, who put forward that bill. And shortly thereafter, she put together a, a document. At the time, it was called Connecting the Dots. And it was a national strategy on fighting human trafficking in Canada, because still... At that time, you know, this is 2010, 2011, Canada still didn't have a national strategy in place yet. When you go to third world countries like Thailand, whether they're enforcing it or not is a different conversation, but they still had legislation there. Um, and it blew my mind that in Canada, a first world nation where we pride ourselves so much on on being free, on freedom, that we did not have this type of legislation in place. Um, and so, of course, you know, we, we do now, um, but it, it's been a journey in Canada, an upward hill battle, and we've been very much behind on where I believe Canada should be, and even today.
0: Yes, I, I know. I remember in the, oh, I guess it was around 2010 uh, that Canada was admonished by the U.S. State Department for for lagging behind, and here we think that we are so advanced and sophisticated and civilized in this country, and yet we are or were uh, lagging behind, um, you know, let's say the G20, if you will, uh, mm-hmm. you know, ma- the major Western industrialized uh, industrialized powers. Uh, we're coming up on another break, Shay. When we come back, we'll continue to delve into this. I, I want to talk to you also about. The um, I remember producing talk radio in the 90s and uh, there were, we would have people coming on uh, advocating for legalization of prostitution and they didn't like them being referred to as uh, prostitutes. They wanted to to call them sex workers and I was never comfortable with that and I refused to use that because mm-hmm. to me that was an attempt to normalize the industry. And now we're seeing… Who is in fact being coerced into working as prostitutes so I want to get your take on that as well and and, and uh, what we can do regarding uh, legislation to uh, uh, to, um, to clamp down on this, this this scourge human trafficking more of my conversation with Shea Invidiata from free them free the website back with more in a moment you're listening to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrant. Uh, Shea, before the break, I was mentioning my experience producing talk radio in the 90s, and people would, at that time, there was this raging debate about, you know, we need a red light district in Toronto, and and we need to legalize prostitution, and and we have to stop referring to them as prostitutes. They're sex workers, and I was never comfortable with that because i felt that that was just a an attempt to normalize what is what should not be a normal situation. Let me get your take on that. The term sex workers. How do you feel about that?
1: Well, i think it really comes down to what what you define as as work. And you know, there's two sides of the coin that it's the oldest profession other people will say it's the oldest oppression, uh which is where my opinion lies. Um I believe that when you know your own value and worth and you've been raised, um, truly knowing that, you know, you, who you are and how valuable you are as a human being, the thought of, um, selling your body to make money, um, is just not a thought that you would subject yourself to. And, I personally don't know any survivor who has come out of, quote-unquote, the sex trade or from being um, exploited through human trafficking who was not sexually abused before they entered the trade. And the most important question for me, and always, is, is when, at what point, how old were you when you pulled what sex workers will call their first trick? And a trick is any type of sexual service that is being done to what they would call a client, somebody who's paying for sex or paying for a sexual service. And we started out our call earlier tonight, and I mentioned that the average age of entry into forced prostitution in Canada is 13 years old. And I will argue to my death that that is never a choice. And that is the the makeup of who is in the trade. And so just because a girl might appear to be the age of consent or older, or she actually might be the age of consent or older, does not mean that she was of the age of consent when, to use sex workers the way they would phrase it, pulled their first trick. For me, it's you know, how old were you when you were first exploited, and it, it's part of part of the biggest misconception I believe in the sex trade is that we, when we hear the word prostitute, we equate that word so much to choice, and it's a widely misre- misrepresented term, and the more accurate term to be using is prostituted and that removes choice from the situation it removes choice from the circumstance and so just because a girl is 1920 the most important question like i said is when when did she first enter and you know at 13 at 14 15 years old i will argue to my death um that that's that's never a choice and you or some of your listeners might remember um years ago Back in about 2013, um, there was the big case between Bedford and it was first the province of Ontario.
0: Yes, that's and, what I was referring to. She was a, yeah, a regular down, a guest on a yeah. talk radio show that I produced. Yes.
1: Yeah. So, you know, she struck down the prostitution laws and it went to the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, and myself, along with um, a handful of other very powerful women, uh, strong women who are survivors um, of human trafficking. We were at Osgood Hall that day that they were in court, and that decision was made to make a national press statement. And, um, you know, we were really upset, and we're saying that day to the media that what was not being spoken about in Bedford's case was that, she's testifying in court as a 50 something year old woman i think she was 54 maybe at the time don't quote me on that but she was you know she was older at the time and what was not being told is that she was just in her teens she was about 13 years old when she was recruited by somebody more than double her age who was abusing her giving her drugs and forcing her to uh, basically be raped by men for money, handing over her profits to what she would call her boyfriend. That's not a boyfriend. And so we need to get very clear on our language. We need to get very clear on what the circumstance is and what's not. And Valerie Scott was another person um, that, you know, was um, alongside of Bedford. And she was 16 herself. And now, you know, she was in her, you know, late 40s or 50s wanting uh, to normalize um, and legalize prostitution. And, you know, that's a very different position when you're in your 40s and you've also been at this point doing this for so long. And there's the most important question is, when did those two women first enter? When were when were they first, uh, you know, when did they were forced to put their first trick and it definitely was not over the age of consent and um, you know we had an opportunity in that year um, the courts gave us one year to rewrite the prostitution laws and uh, Freedom was a well still is a uh, federal stakeholder to uh, Bill C-310 which was put forward by um, at the time the Attorney General of Canada um, the Minister of Justice Peter McKay And we put into legislation, it's still effective today, that looked at Canada and we said, if we recognize that the majority of victims of the girls that make up who's in this illegal sex trade, majority of them are not there by choice. Majority of them are, you know, um, being trafficked and they're being exploited and sold. And so why are we criminalizing them?
0: Shay, and I've got to jump in here because we. this is a short segment. We have to uh, take a quick it. time out. We'll come back and we'll talk okay. about the current law. ...regarding uh, prostitution, where it is now illegal to purchase or advertise sexual services. It's illegal to live off of the avails of, of uh, prostitution. Uh, it is legal to sell sexual services, although in some cases it's illegal to solicit in public areas. So We'll talk more about that. We'll also maybe talk about the Swedish model, whether we should be emulating that. Back with more of my conversation with Shea Invidiata as we continue to discuss human trafficking, modern-day slavery. Don't go away. Take a look around. What do you really see? This is where you can tell all about it. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett. Shay, before the uh, break, I was, um, as I understand it anyway, sort of reciting the current legislation, which came around, I I think, in 2014 regarding um prostitution that is it's illegal to 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 purchase or advertise it it's a uh, it's it's illegal to live off the avails of, of prostitution so pimping is illegal uh it's illegal to advertise it as i said but it's 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 illegal to sell but you can't solicit in in public areas is that is that do i have that right
1: it it's not illegal to sell sex it's illegal to
0: purchase it right, I, I thought it yeah it 's legal yeah. to sell, but it 's illegal yeah. to solicit in public areas yeah is that right
1: yeah well you're you can in in public areas, but there are restrictions like obviously like around like schools or within children, um, you know those type of um, precautions and protections are in place um, you know but and and people ask you know like why why. Did you why did this law, which, for some people, they don't think it makes sense, because you're able to sell the service it's illegal, but the service itself to purchase is illegal. Um, you know, And as we were starting to talk about, we looked at who was selling and why they're selling. And at the time in Canada, the only way for a police officer to remove a girl. Um, was to and be able to detain her was by laying charges and to be to arrest her and of course when you get those charges also laid you know you get a criminal record and once you have a criminal record that is a whole other horrible process for um, a victim especially when they you know are rescued and are on their journey of healing that they now have a criminal record um And so we looked at that to say we need to remove that and put the police in a position of empowerment to be able to actually go into a situation, remove a girl who's willing to go and who wants help um, and have the legal authority to be able to do that. And then, of course, at the same time, not um, criminalizing these girls who are being forced to be there, and who are being exploited. And what we need to be doing is going after the demand, um, which is exactly what Bill C-310 um, aimed to do. And so the johns, which are just, um, you know, somebody who's purchasing sex, um, it is illegal to do that in Canada.
0: And what is the penalty currently under Canadian law for uh, a John?
1: Um it, it it really depends um on on the situation. So it that's the more complicated thing for me to try to answer. Um, you know, simply it's it goes down into silos, it goes down into the province, um, even down into the municipalities as to what they are allowed to do. There's certain um there's certain regions where they will have to go to John's school and they can have their sentence reduced um there's you know um it, it's complicated I, honestly, in, in your mind sorry. are the
0: penalties sufficient in your mind are the yeah. penalties sufficient correction correct yeah no, but I'm asking in your mind are the are the penalties sufficient in that area
1: oh sorry, my apologies um no i I don't think not just this one I think in general, I still think that. When you look at what happens to a victim, regardless of even length of time, um, the penalties that we have in our country and how our system is set up where there's so many different credits and a sentence can be you know eight years um, and some and then it can be end up being reduced to only a couple of years, and then all of a sudden that person who's victimized you is is "Quote unquote free" and is going to be out, um, and yet that victim then lives in fear um, for not only their their trafficker coming after them, uh, but then the trauma that they also live with for the rest of their life. Um, so no, I don't. I, across the board, I don't think that our penalties um, are severe enough to right.
0: You were you were talking about the trafficker, but what about for the John that that? Um- Purchases the services.
1: yeah? It's both the same. I think that if you had harsher sentences, um, you know, it would really demotivate somebody from being able to go out and and purchase. Um, you know, a person. It would we, we don't we don't have a culture that is structured um, as such. And we're seeing this. This isn't even at like the street level, but we're seeing now more than ever in our world, um, right down from the street levels to gangs to more organized crime to different elite groups. Um, you know, politicians for many, many years, but more the, the depth of people in very high places that are, um, you know, are purchasing and, what happens to them when they get caught? Not a lot, and that's not okay and the The system is not set up to um, discourage that and also hold those people accountable and no, we'll, we'll definitely
0: get into the epstein case uh, uh, in in the second hour um, so we just have a few minutes here before the top of the hour'll we'll, again yeah. i'll start 'll start this conversation, and if need be, we'll continue after the top of the hour but uh so when a John is arrested, and the do they then how what are the police instructed to do? Do they take the uh the woman into temporary custody to try and counsel or to you know to provide some sort of a safe haven? Do they then try to identify who the the pimp is and go after that individual? Uh,
1: I, I yes to both. Um, they will after coming into the station or with the police officer, if there's, if there's not already a social worker on site or what we would call like a frontline worker that's equipped to deal specifically with human trafficking victims, um, they will be called to the scene or they'll be called down to the station to um, meet the girl or the officer will take her directly to a safe house. Um, so it just, it just depends on the scenario
0: and and how how difficult it is it often to to get the, the 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 woman the victim in this situation to uh, to testify or to um give up her her pimp how often do they do that or are they willing to do that
1: yeah so you know again the system needs a lot of improvement you know um there's there's many factors as to why a girl would it's not that she wouldn't be willing there's really a lot more to do with being afraid right. um afraid for your own life that just because your pimp might be actually put out, put behind bars um you know as i mentioned there's the fear that what happens when he gets out but also too just because he's behind bars doesn't mean that he doesn't have other people that can come and find her and so You know, there's extreme fear that if she talks, um, you know, not just herself, but if she does have family and loved ones that are still around and alive that her trafficker knows of, that serious harm might come to those people. Um, You know, there's also the brainwashing that takes place from a female who, at a young age, you know, at the beginning, as, you know, we talked about at the very beginning of tonight that the introduction to your relationship with the trafficker is not one of a trafficker. It's a, it's a boyfriend luring grooming process that happens. And so the brainwashing that happens is that, you know, you are still identifying with this pimp. Oftentimes the victims are identifying these men or the boys as their, their boyfriends. And, um, the, the real, it's, and it's a real thing, the trauma bond that forms. And sometimes these girls will not want to testify. Um, and it's not until years later that, um, when they've gone through a lot of trauma counseling and a healing journey that they'll look back and realize that that person that they called their boyfriend was truly, in fact, um, exploiting them and pimping them out that they were, you know, trafficking them
0: Alright, so- we're going to take a, a take a time out here, we'll uh, come back Shay Invidiata stays with us for the second hour as well as we continue to discuss human trafficking, modern day slavery, the website is freethem.ca we'll find out more about the organization and other forms of human trafficking as well, my name is Richard Serrett, don't go away